Well, it's been three days now. Has he reached out? Several times, actually. Really? Oh, sure. According to one message, he wants us to meet him by the dumpsters behind the Rolling Thunder bowling alley at noon the last Tuesday of next month. Huh? In another message, he said he wants us to meet him by the Seahorse Aquarium in Luciana's pet shop tomorrow at dawn. Which, I'm not sure that the pet shop will even be open at that time, but whatever. And in yet another message... Okay, I get it. They're all cranks. All but one. Maybe. There's a single message that could be legit. It's also the only one that came in as an email instead of a voicemail. So that feels like it could be our guy. Not wanting his voice to be heard. Yeah, that is very suggestive. What did the message say? Ever heard of the Shady Hollow Wildlife Sanctuary? Uh, I don't think so. Not surprised. Few have. Is that here in town? It's a privately owned nature preserve just outside of town. What kind of nature preserve? It's not very clear, but I do have the highlights from the paper trail. Apparently, Shady Hollow is 200 plus acres of private property that was reallocated to a wildlife sanctuary several years ago. This was formerly the estate of Eric Quintero. Him I'm at least a little familiar with, sure. Haven't heard anything recently, though. You wouldn't have. Apparently, this once rakish millionaire, this lifelong man about town, abruptly withdrew from the public eye to pursue his passion for conservation. Hmm. What do you mean, hmm? This has to be him, right? Who better for Grendel to take over than some rich guy? And all those sudden personality changes, been falling off the map? It's gotta be him. Besides, Detective Sorrels said that wherever we found the strongest concentration of those creatures, we would also find Grindel. The wildlife sanctuary. You know what kind of wildlife he's got in there. <sighs> when does he want to meet? Tonight at midnight. So, what do you think? I think you're going to have to call off work again. I just hope this podcast doesn't get you fired. I should probably be looking for another job anyway. Why? Because if we succeed, this town, it may not need Circle City Supernatural anymore. It would have to thunderstorm, wouldn't it? Kind of feels appropriate for a midnight rendezvous in the middle of nowhere. I can't see a thing out there. Where are we? Uh, we just passed over Old Scratch Creek. Shouldn't be too much longer now. We only just left the city behind, but it already feels like we're so far out. And is it me, or are we slanting downward? There's an area of lowlands out here. Guess they didn't call it Shady Hollow for nothing. Remember, not too fast. Right, right. Hey, you okay? It's just my nerves. It's your instinct telling you to turn around. I feel it too. Does that mean this is the right place? I think we're about to find out. There is a sign up ahead for the Shady Hollow Wildlife Sanctuary. Closed to the public, it says, and, uh, uh, and under it is another sign designating this turnoff as a private road. It says road, but it's really more of a path. The rain is turning the dirt to mud. Need to shift into four-wheel drive. What about... They'll just have to take it slower. Okay. We're entering a woodland now. According to the research I did earlier, this forest covers most of the property. Plenty of space to hide in. There's a gate up ahead. You see it? I do. Joseph is slowing down. Maybe there's an intercom or... Oh, the gate is opening automatically. I guess we head in. But first... Careful, careful, careful! 
Joseph has just sideswiped the gate, dislodging it, but losing a headlight in the process. You better hope we're actually in the right place. Oh, I'm pretty sure we are. Lindsay, out your window. Look. <gasps> Listeners, eyes have appeared in the woodland around us. Glowing, burning out in the darkness. They're watching us. Something just ran across the roadway. Something else just came out of the tree line and slashed at my door. It's okay. It's okay. This is just posturing. It's intimidation. They won't attack. He won't let them. Grindel won't let them harm us. I really hope we're doing the right thing. There's the house. Aren't you gonna... Aren't you gonna describe it? You know, for the audience? It's a big, swanky mansion. There. Happy? Forgive me if I'm not exactly feeling like a podcaster at the moment. Joseph, the front door. I see it. Just like the gate, the front door has opened seemingly on its own. Oh, I hate this. I don't want to be here. Me either, but we really don't have a choice. Here, don't forget the painting. Right. You, uh, uh... What? What is it? You may have to drag me out of the truck. All those things in the woods... I really don't think I can get out. I'm honestly more concerned about what's waiting for us inside. Oh, you would say that. Come on, then. In the storm! There! I see it. Come on. That thing is in the books. It lived in the skies over the... over the land of... well, you know. I didn't think it was real! How could you have? No. I mean, I had a call to the show about it. A giant snake that lives in the clouds. I didn't believe it! Speaking of things from your books and my show, Joseph, look. Listener, standing just inside the door... Waiting to receive us. Um, a... Uh, this is going to sound so stupid, but imagine a butler. A cliché butler in an old-timey tux, but now... Put an octopus where his head should be. Creature, take us to your master. We are following this thing down a corridor to a dining hall or a great room or... Oh boy, here we go. Welcome and well done. Come in, come in. Let me have a look at the pair of you. You spend so much time listening to voices, you start to imagine what those people look like, you know? (laughs) You're actually just as I pictured you. A handsome couple. Except you weren't sopping wet in my imaginings. Can I get you towels? A drink, perhaps? I don't, I don't drink. drink. <laughs> that is adorable. You two really were made for each other, weren't you? In the center of the room, a low platform or dais has been erected, and atop it is a high-backed chair, like a throne. Our host has seated himself here. It is a bit much, isn't it? You know, I don't do all this for myself. My servants here like to furnish me with all these kingly trappings. 
But then, your companion is no less medieval in his own regalia. <laughs> Young man, why do you come here in those gauntlets? I didn't know what to expect. And you thought that the danger I pose could be combated with metal mittens? They seem to work last time. Hmm, <laughs> indeed. And you, Miss Mallon, where is your weapon? We're not here to fight. Besides, I do not share in my partner's flair for the dramatic. Partner? Is that what you are calling each other? Are you not yet, um... Oh, young people, life is short. For you, anyway. You ought to embrace what happiness you can as quickly as you can, for the sand slips swiftly through the hourglass of mortals. <laughs> not to get too poetical about it. As you know, I've been listening to your show, and it seems to me, as it does to all of your other listeners, that the two of you would have a perfectly lovely life together. And that life awaits you presently. All you must do is turn over my property and be on your way. Simple as that, huh? We'll never see you again. Or any of your... pets. That was the deal you proposed, was it not? I am prepared to honor my end, so long as you honor yours. I assume that is my painting, Miss Mallon, in that canister strapped to your shoulder. I would very much like to see it, please. Not so fast. I have some questions. <laughs> oh? Joseph, what are you doing? It's quite all right, Miss Mallon. Our lofty friend here has waited so very long for this. The Circle City Collector. I followed your work, young man, since the beginning. I can only imagine what this must be like for you to stand here before me. This mythological figure now manifest. What would you like to know? You came to Circle City for your painting, yes? Once you have it, will you leave? You would like me to go, is that what you're saying? I'm afraid I have further business that will keep me here indefinitely. You know what's going to happen here, right? In the future, what the Cabal has planned for this place? Their petty machinations bore me. Let them scurry about as the ants they are. The Cabal. They're coming overlords. They can have this world. Then why remain here? Do you have any other questions, Mr. Leck? I want to know about Pendergast. Enough about him! Why is it he you study so intently? Your slavish devotion to his legacy is pitiable. He was a genius, the most gifted of all the geniuses, unequivocally. But so, too, was he just a mortal man, now long dead. I, I have swum the ocean of the unseen realm, the cosmic solution which all of reality is submerged and unified. I have witnessed the creatures native to this dimension. I have gone backward and forward through time. It should be me who fascinates and confounds you. But it's about who's telling the story, isn't it? Pendergast did what I could not. He secured his legacy. He established the story of his own life with those chroniclers of his. And then the book bearers passed that narrative along into the modern day until it came to you, Mr. Leck. The man with the audacity to set it all before the eyes of the world. People had the right to know. And no one cared. <laughs> Just as well. Every action that man took was for his own vain glory. Pendergast made himself the champion of his own story and thrust the role of villain upon me. But I assure you, it was ever the reverse. The actions I took were to save my people, even if it was from themselves. Your people? Does the Cabal even know that you're here? And now? 
the cabal, a silly term for a silly group. They took me in because of my talents and my talents alone. I was a means to an end and nothing more. A tool to find the orb and secure it on their behalf. They sought a way out of this dying world of theirs. You see, for all their power, they are as mortal as you and just as desperate to stay alive. Let them all perish in the fires they themselves set. I no longer concern myself with the plight of mortals. You clearly wanted to help them at one time. I mean, you made the journey, found the orb. What's changed? His mother was killed. She was a member of the Cabal, the one who adopted him. But it wasn't transactional for her. No, she... She truly loved him as a son. So it was for her that you made the journey back in time? I did that for her, yes, because she asked me to. And then, upon my return, I awakened covered in her blood. She was murdered trying to save me. Murdered by one of Pendergast's companions, the Gravedigger. Earlier, you asked why I was still here, why I will not leave. I remain in Circle City because I know well of those future events you speak of, Mr. Leck. But I know even more than you. I know that those events will bring the Gravedigger here. It's the only thing that will draw him out of the shadows. He will come here to fight the Cabal and their overlords. But it will be me waiting for him. You're talking about Charlie Winston. The man who dug so many graves and yet will never have one himself. Your plan is just revenge. He killed me. He killed my mother. Then he killed me yet again. So yes, Mr. Leck, just revenge is my intention. You know that he cannot die. You also know that it was he who stole my painting. He took it from the land of phantoms. He is the reason it ended up here in this place. So I have made this place the land of phantoms. No, I cannot kill him, but I can make him long for death. He will be condemned to a hell of my own making. He will suffer among the monsters day and night, and I will make him look upon the painting all the while. He will never be allowed to forget what he took from me. My God. Wait, sorry. So your plan is you're just killing time here until this old enemy of yours shows up in the future so you can get your payback? That's it? All this power you possess and this is how you're using it? What's wrong? Too simple? This whole long convoluted story? This weaving, looping path you've been on? And my motivation is too pedestrian for you? Sorry to disappoint, Miss Mallon. But yes, that is the extent of it. I will, as you say, kill time. I will continue to wear this body until I grow weary of it. Or until it ages beyond my liking. And then I will move on to the next. When you grow weary of it, what exactly happens to the person whose body you've stolen? When you move on, I mean. I kill them. Well... For all appearances, they kill themselves, really. You see, when I possess a person, the usurped consciousness remains, witnessing everything that is happening. Right now, this man, Eric Quintero, can see and hear you, but he is powerless, a prisoner in his own mind. Unless you leave him. Then he would get his body back, and he could tell everyone about you. Now, it's not likely that anyone would ever believe him, but why take the risk? I am trying to live quietly, after all. So when I am done with him, he must die. I cannot allow any unwelcome attention to come my way. Uh, what about the podcast? You know I'm recording this and that every word you're saying will go into that episode. Your secret will be out. He was never going to let us leave this place, were you, Grindel? That life you spoke of for us, it was never going to be. 
I'm sorry, no. I just wanted you to hand over the painting willingly, without a fuss. But alas... <laughs> hey, listen. My producer knows where we are. She's been instructed to send the police here if we don't come back. I know how to completely disappear a body, Miss Mallon, leaving not a trace. I have proven this already. My pets, as you call them, left not a trace of their fellows who you cut down the other night at your radio station. Your radio station, where I can easily find your producer, your engineer, and anyone else you may have pulled into this story. You leave them out of this! But what will the police make of your disappearances, I wonder? Will it be something romantic, like the pair of you ran off together? Or will it be something darker? Perhaps they will theorize that a disgraced archivist, a former suspect of theirs in a triple murder, killed poor Miss Mallon in a crime of passion. Some kind of unrequited love scenario, only to then off himself at the undisclosed location of his home. Maybe he even sealed their bodies in his vault. <laughs> the endless elsewhere, indeed. You were correct, Mr. Leck, when you said that there is a story being told, and that all mortal lives are mere subplots to it. It was, in fact, during my final confrontation with Pendergast that I learned this. But what I have since discovered is that the story is my own. Grindle, you are not God. Perhaps not, but I am as close as anyone has yet come. Unlike Pendergast, I will not need chroniclers to secure my legacy. What does an Eternal care for such things? I will dwell forever. And when I have at long last had my fill of the gravedigger's suffering, I will move on from this time and space, going to explore what awaits me in the vast unknown. You can't do that! You don't realize what you've done, Grindle. You've fractured the structure of time. If you try to make another jump, you could- uh, I grow tired of all this talking. Please give the painting to my servant. I don't want him to have to kill you here. Not on this carpet, you understand. I must say, I am disappointed in you both. The pair of you seemed so clever on your show. Did you really not consider that this would be a trap? That you were walking into a den of wolves? Honestly, I expected more from the two of you. Well, if we're being honest, we kind of expected more from you two. I'm, I'm sorry? The immortal time traveler, the swimmer of interdimensional oceans, master of a legion of monsters, believing everything he hears on a podcast? What are you blithering about? You, get my painting from them. Unstrapping it from my shoulder, I unscrewed the cap and cupped my hand over the now open mouth of the tube, upending it. A roll of a 120-year-old canvas is not what slid into my palm, but rather the hilt of my basilard, which, being shorter than a sword yet longer than a dagger, just so happened to fit perfectly into the painting's container. I drew my weapon from its makeshift scabbard and spun to swing at the charging creature. The blade slid through several of its flailing tentacles before cleaving deep into the spongy flesh of that monstrous mollusk. He dropped dead before me. Then Joseph and I turned back to the dais, leering up at the man and thrown atop it. The look on his face. Suddenly, he didn't seem like a king anymore, and certainly not a god. This is the Endless Elsewhere Podcast, Chapter 5, The Battle of Shady Hollow.
Now, listener, this is what really happened after the last episode. We did, in fact, get in a fight with the Unclosing Eye Detective Agency, and they did, in fact, throw us out of their hideaway, but knowing that we needed them, and, dare I say, they us, we gave it another go. I called Detective Sorrels the next day. It took some convincing, but eventually he agreed to meet. But this time, it had to be on neutral ground, somewhere we all knew and felt comfortable, Joe's Diner. We arrived early, but not earlier than they had. Joseph parked his truck beside their van, and we entered to find Detective Sorrels, along with Carolyn Pelfrey and Ryan Tolliver, sitting in that familiar corner booth in the back. There was no one else in the diner, thankfully. We didn't even see Piper, who I assumed was busy in the kitchen. The three of them rose as Joseph and I approached, and we met in the middle of the diner. It was a tense standoff. I tried to be the mediator, the peacekeeper. I explained why we were all there, reminding everyone of our common enemy, and proclaiming that a comic book-style team-up was essential to save the day. Well, I didn't use those words specifically, but you get the idea. The solidarity I was striving for, however, was quickly rejected and some harsh words were then exchanged, which is why I am recapping this instead of playing the whole recording of it. Bleeping out swears is tedious work. And full disclosure, I got pulled into the fray coming to Joseph's defense when he was the recipient of some unearned insults. Honestly, a full-on brawl could have easily broken out. But then, a deus ex machina. The waitress. We all felt silent when Piper came out of the kitchen. She didn't even seem to notice us. She was looking down at her order pad as she came out from behind the counter. She inadvertently stepped into what was now the no man's land between the two embattled factions. She was in the middle of our conflict before she even knew it. When Piper glanced up, she blinked, surprised. But then she smiled that winning smile of hers. And from this point on, I can start using the audio from that day. Oh, hey guys. I didn't realize you... Are you going to be all together? There was no answer from anyone. We all stared past Piper. She probably felt invisible. Then she held up her order pad and waved it. Uh, hello? For the check, I mean. Separate or all together? Eventually, our answer came. All together. Yes, we are all together. Great. Now, let's get this started. We crowded into the booth as Piper brought a round of coffee. The five of us said as much as we could, but as other people started trickling into the diner, Carolyn insisted that we leave. This was, after all, not a conversation to be overheard. Then Ryan suggested his old stomping ground just down the street. So we left the diner for the cemetery, Joseph and I following the agency's van in his truck. Passing through the main gate, they led us to one of the more modern sections of the burial grounds. They pulled over and parked, we doing so behind them. Keith, Carolyn, and Ryan emptied from their vehicle but took only a few steps into the grass before they stopped, waiting for us to catch up. As Joseph and I came over, we passed by their van. I glanced inside and was surprised to see a wheelchair lift in the back. It appeared to be a recent addition to the old van. I didn't think much of it at the time, however. I didn't have the chance to. When we joined them, I immediately saw that our group now stood at the graves of Rex and Ray Benton. The brothers had lived side by side and had been buried likewise. I was reminded of my previous visit to the cemetery in which Joseph and I stood at the graves of Brian and Caitlin Polydor. I confess, a chill came over me. So many of the people who had been pulled into this story were killed by it. Nothing we say here gets released until all this is over, okay? If even a single detail of this plan is leaked, it will fail. I can agree to that. You have my word. Okay, then. Why are we at the graves of the Benton brothers? Because they're going to help us stop Grendel. I'm sorry? Back in the day, when our job was still theirs, 
They came across a gin who'd escaped its bottle. A gin? Like a, like a genie? Yeah. They had to devise a new containment vessel for it, something that would trap the spirit indefinitely. I found this vessel on one of our cases. They called it a gin jar. Because of course they did. You can't kill Grindel, so you plan to trap him. That's the plan. What about the spirit that's already in there? The gin? Transferred to another vessel. The gin jar was old and starting to fail when Carolyn recovered it, so we had to move the spirit. At the moment, we were working to repair and reinforce the gin jar. To prepare it for Grindel. You're sure it can hold him? He's unlike any other spirit that exists. We're cautiously optimistic. Cautiously opti- And if it doesn't work, what then? Most likely, we all die. Ah. Wait, how do you plan to get his spirit out of the body he's taken? Only way we know how. You can't just kill his host body. The original person is still in there with him. That's how usurping works. You'd be killing an innocent person. A regrettable but necessary sacrifice for- No. Come on now, Detective Sorrels. There's got to be another way. Well, we can always run it by heart. Oh, sorry, Keith. (sighs) Who? Who were you about to say just now? Does it even matter at this point? We might as well just introduce them. Introduce us to- Who, exactly? The person you think we represent, our mystery client. He's not a client. Someone who works with us. I guess we'll take you to meet him. Who is it? It's better if you just see for yourself, believe me. Okay, let's go. I'm ready. Is he at the hideaway, like he was the last time? No, he's at the... Well, you'll see. Look, just... just follow us. And that's what we did. We all got back into our vehicles and left the cemetery, Joseph and I following the agency's van, which surprisingly led us downtown. Even more surprisingly, we pulled up to an old church. It was a rather humble building, but still, there was charm and character to the place. Uh, are we going to do some praying? Probably not a bad idea. This way. Our group was heading toward the arched entryway of the church, where a pair of tall, roughly-hewn oaken doors stood beautifully inlaid with ornate wrought-iron fixtures. But then Keith turned suddenly away from them and led us around back to a pair of significantly less attractive angled cellar doors. Keith had the key and unlocked the rusted pair. Then Carolyn and Ryan, moving to either side, each pulled one open for us. After you. Just inside was a small staircase. I was surprised to find a folding metal ramp had been placed over the steps, so Joseph and I sidled down into the church basement. There was a short hallway before us. Joseph pressed on immediately, his curiosity overwhelming. I, however, paused, not sure whether I should keep with him or wait for our companions, who were now coming down the ramp behind us. Watching them do so, I was reminded of the wheelchair lift I had seen in the back of their van. Then I was sure that whomever this mystery member of the agency was, he or she must have special needs of some kind. This realization had barely come to me before I turned and scampered to Joseph's side. He was just then pushing through a heavy door at the end of the hall. He and I stepped into a sizable room, although just how large it was, I could not say, as it was almost pitch black. Defying the darkness, however, and practically glowing at the center of it, was a white monolith. Or so it appeared from afar. What is that? Welcome to the repository. Keith and the others joined us in the room, then went ahead of Joseph and I, approaching the light. We trailed behind them. Getting closer, we saw that the monolith was a white cabinet, about six feet tall. 
The basement had some recessed lighting that shone down on it. However, most of the glowing effect was produced by lights within the cabinet itself, which radiated brilliantly through the opaque glass of its door. Across this glass were painted small, blood-red crosses, and fastened to the base of the cabinet, another cross. This one was of the same hue, but larger and wooden. What's it for? You called this the repository. What does that mean? It's pretty straightforward. This is a holy box standing in a holy building. If you put something bad inside, the evil's neutralized. Something bad? Our work often brings us in contact with cursed artifacts. And this is where we keep them. And this is where Grindel will go after we get him in the gin jar. What is that? Choir practice. This is a functioning church? Do they know you're down here? Of course. We're not squatters. Pastor's a friend. An ally. Don't worry. No one but us ever comes down here. Wow. Okay. Well, can we see inside of it? Sure. Just be warned. Carolyn, you you want to show him? Okay. <gasps> I thought I heard voices out here. Hey, new people. <laughs> that is amazing. Don't worry. He can't hurt you. But he will annoy you to death if given the chance. Inside the cabinet was a series of eclectic items, some menacing in appearance, others looking entirely harmless. Those up top hung from hooks, the rest were shelved at the bottom, but in the middle of them all, caged in a miniature gibbet, as if a pirate in olden days, was a ventriloquist's dummy. It was smaller than most I've seen, and honestly cuter, except that this one was talking, its little wooden mouth flapping up and down with its own impossible voice. Hey, you sound familiar. Where do I know you from? Where did you get this thing? Same as the gin jar and everything else in here. Picked it up on an old case. Why not destroy this stuff like you did the grimoire? Yeah! Tell him, Keith. Tell him while I'm still here. Shut up. Each item in this cabinet has an evil that is bound to it. If we were to destroy any of these objects, it would only serve to sever that connection. It's actually this tether that enables us to keep them in place, here, instead of out there, in the world. And that's how the gin jar works. That's how it will trap Grindel. It creates a bond between a spirit and a physical thing. Correct. So where is it? The gin jar. It's with the doctor. Who? If you were surprised by me, you ain't seen nothing yet. Carolyn, could you? Gladly. Oh, come on, I was just... What doctor? He's through there. I'll, uh, I'll let you introduce yourselves. You're not coming with us? Nah, well, we'll go ahead and hang back for now. Okay. Keith indicated a door at the back of the repository. When Joseph started toward it, I followed closely behind, taking a fistful of his jacket. I didn't want to lose him in the dark, but yeah, I was also afraid. I thought he was too when he stopped at the door, but he'd only pause to glance back at me and smile. No, he was excited. Joseph pushed the door open and pulled me through it. We found ourselves in a, I think it had been intended as a storage room based on the size, but there wasn't much of anything in it. A couple of pendant lights hung from the ceiling, their bare bulbs casting a dull glow. It was, however, sufficient enough to see a workbench that stood against the far wall, as well as the lone figure that loomed before it. Our arrival had apparently gone unnoticed by the thing. Yes, I said thing. It was not a person who awaited us. At least, not anymore. 
This was the ultimate conclusion of a science begun more than a century ago and passed from the greatest scientific mind to the second greatest, who first completed, then proved the field by gambling his own life upon it. Standing there before us, well, I should clarify that it was not upon legs that it did so, but rather a sizable rolling sphere that was largely encased in a domed chassis. Mounted to this was a telescoping column that could be extended or collapsed, increasing and decreasing the height of the thing. This column was, in turn, connected to a half-torso with long, multi-jointed arms on either side. When the thing swiveled to face us at last, I saw that the hands of it had three digits that could extend and fold in ways impossible for any biological creature. But the fingers of the thing did not hold my attention long, as the head of it, having been lowered to the work table a moment before, now raised up so that the thing might look upon us. Through a porthole, we could see an illuminated inner chamber where a human brain was suspended in some kind of clear solution. Below this bubbled circular window was a pair of ocular sensors whose lenses shifted to focus on us. Aside from these eyes, there was nothing more to the face of it. Not even a mouth. When the thing did speak to us, its accented voice crackled through a pair of small speakers mounted to the angular shoulders. Ah, the Circle City Collector. At last we meet. I am Dr. Frederick Hardesty. It seems that both of our reputations precede us, yeah? Joseph went slowly forward, as if to meet his destiny. Whereas I was petrified, he was awestruck. My partner regarded the mechanical monstrosity with none of the revulsion that I did, but rather with fascination and wonder. You took Pendergast's design for the bard. This many upgrades, of course. <laughs> I'm sorry. What the what is happening right now? Pendergast had his own mechanical creation, back when he was still trying to perfect automatonics. It was nicknamed the bard, and it looked, well, a lot like this. And it is only because of you that I was able to adopt this design. You read of it in the Pendergast manuscripts. Yeah, it seemed only appropriate to take this form, to honor the father of this science. Dr. Hardesty, I have so many questions. We have to talk about the Dreamcatcher device. <sighs> Alas, Herlek, it must wait. I will answer all of your questions, but first, there is a more pressing matter to attend to. When time is of the essence, quite literally... Clarence Grindle. As you know, his journey to the past caused this tangential timeline, this splinter reality. But what you do not know, what not even he knows, I suspect, is that this split has left both realities, the original and our own, vulnerable, weakened. Grindle's actions have fractured the natural structure of time, and another similar event could complete the break. It could collapse one or even both realities. How long have you known this? I have made this discovery only recently. That's why you and the others are in such a hurry to stop him. His threat is not just to this city anymore, but to all of creation. If Clarence Grindle makes another jump, he could destroy everything we know, and even what we do not. I'm sorry, could you excuse us for just a second? Certainly, Miss Mallon. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Did you seriously just ask me that? All this was bad enough when it was just a time-traveling ghost trying to kill us with his monsters because he wants his doodle back? But now we've got Werner Von Johnny Five over there talking about the destruction of the universe! It's a lot, I know, but don't you see? This is it. It's what? Him. Hardesty. He's what we need to prove all of it. He's more than just eyewitness testimony, he's evidence. His body, 
It's Pendergast technology. He's the smoking gun. We can prove everything. Him? Yes. Sorry, Dr. Hardesty. Where were we? Right, stopping Grindel. But we have to find him first. You knew him in the past. What can you tell us? Maybe there's something that will help us locate him. I'm afraid I know little more than you, Herlek. When I was brought to the U.S. after the war, I was stationed in what you have been calling the Bunker of Babel. Grindel was here already. Well, his body was here. I was told of his mission and of his powers. It frightened me. A doppelganger. This word you have heard, yeah? It has been misused into redefinition. Now it means simply a twin or a lookalike. But the original meaning in my native Deutsch is double walker or double goer, a spirit, separated. I feared stories of the double goer in my use, but as a man, a man of science, I happily put away such fears. Now, imagine my reaction to being brought into the most advanced facility on the planet when discovering the double goer was real, that magic was real and more powerful than any science. You said it was only his body that was there. So he had already disconnected his consciousness when you arrived? Yeah. He lay in the bottommost level of the facility, the most protected room on the Earth. The Cabal monitored him closely, earnestly awaiting his return. Then he did return, and Pendergast was there to greet him, he and his henchmen. You mean Charlie Winston, when they broke into the Bunker of Babel to reclaim the orb? Wait. Slow down. You're talking about stuff from the books, right? Yes, the third one. Just after World War II, when Hardesty's machine, the wormhole tracker... Uh, the PX-39? Sure, right. Anyway, it led the Cabal to Pendergast, and they captured the orb. They almost got him, too, and it was too bad for them that they didn't, because Pendergast then mounted a secret attack on the Bunker of Babel to get the orb back. A secret attack? He just rustled up an army? He didn't need an army. All he needed was Charlie Winston. The Immortal Outlaw. Charlie Winston was a part of the original expedition into the Land of Phantoms, along with Pendergast. That's how the two men met. Then, decades later, Pendergast called on Winston for his help. To break into a secret facility. And while those two were reclaiming the orb, Grendel woke up, having just returned from the past? Imagine it. Winston killed Grindel's host vessel, the little boy, nearly a half century before, hurling Grindel's spirit back to his own body in time where Winston just so happened to be waiting for him. So the last thing Grindel sees in the past is Winston, and Winston is the first thing he sees upon waking. Trippy. Well, Winston wasn't the first person Grindel saw when he opened his eyes, nor was it even Pendergast. When Grindel woke up, he did so to find his mother, Anne Janet Grindel, a member of the Cabal and the facility's director at that point, lying dead before him. Another victim of Charlie Winston? Yes. There were few he did not kill that day. Had I not been instructed to hide, he would have done away with me as well. When Pendergast and Winston left with the orb, I emerged from hiding. I wandered the facility, stepping over countless bodies. It was a massacre. This Winston guy sounds intense. Winston was the weapon, but it was Pendergast who wielded it, who struck down so many that day. I know we're talking about Grindel here, but I'm sorry. I have to ask. What was it like to meet the famed and fabled and now forgotten Edwin Lydell Pendergast? For me, it was a great honor. I first learned English to read his early monographs in their native tongue. I thought you were a rival of his. Even those who hated him only did so out of jealousy. There was no one in the scientific community who did not respect his 
unparalleled genius, his creations, they were to have changed, to have bettered the world, and if not curtailed by the cabal, they would have, whereas everything that I have invented has only been for my own selfish ambition, and served only to bring harm to this world. The hardesty. You know vast the things that I have done, Halleck. You have found and published accounts of me. You know who I am, the masters I have served. But now you're different. You're trying to make it right. I fear there is no absolution for one such as I. Look upon me. It is not even a man who stands before you, but an abomination. If ever I had a soul, I do no longer. I don't believe that. <laughs> what do you believe, Herlek? I believe that if any of us are beyond forgiveness, then all of us are. Truly? It's part of my creed. I was once counted among Nazis, Herlek. And then an even greater evil, the Cabal. It does not matter if I believed as they did, or if I was conscripted against my will. I still obeyed, I still furthered their agendas. Redemption has no threshold. That is not an opinion shared by many. Well, I'm rather used to being unpopular. Look, if you fellas are done hugging it out in here, we've uh, got a bad guy to stop. Keith had just come into the room with Carolyn and Ryan behind him. Indeed, Herr Soros, and I have just finished modifications. The ginger is now ready. Behold. Artisty rolled aside to reveal what he had been toiling over when Joseph and I came into the room. And all the time we'd been talking, we hadn't even seen it. So my partner and I inched closer to the workbench to have a look. That's it? Sorry, no offense. I don't know what I was expecting. But this just seems so, like, not the kind of thing that will imprison an evil spirit. Be not deceived by its modest appearance. This building is very modest from this out, but you have found its contents to be most profound, yeah? Such is true of this device as well. Fair enough. The ginger is metal, heavy looking, gray and cylindrical. It mushrooms at the top into a glass dome that's got a protective cage around it. The glass is opaque, like the glass on the repository. Guessing that's not a coincidence. No, no it's not. Wait, hang on. So, is this how you guys got together with Hardesty here? You picked him up on an old case, just like you did the gin jar? <laughs> Unbelievable. Alright, so let's figure out how we're going to get Grindle into this thing without killing his host. Well, my exorcist is in prison, so unless anyone else knows one, we may have to make a hard decision here. If you want our help, we're finding another way. Look, guys, you get the luxury of being idealists. Those of us who've been in this fight since the beginning, we know what needs to be done. This is a greater good situation. Hardesty told you about collapsing universes and all that, right? He did, but you also said that he may have an idea about how to keep from murdering Grindel's vessel. Hardesty, what do you think? Is it possible to forcibly expel the parasite without killing the host? That could be another way. I shall think it over, Herlek. That's all I ask. Okay, but even when he's out, I mean, what's to stop him from possessing one of us? doesn't really work that way. Grindel's going to require time and an opening to steal a body, and we're not going to give him either one of those things. So as soon as he's out, your jar will just... And that's that? Pretty much. But none of this will matter unless we can find him. That will be our end of things. Joseph and I can smoke him out. Wait, we can? We are a detective agency, and we haven't been able to track him down. So how are you going to? You wanted the painting back from Joseph to bait Grindel into the open, but that plan got blown. So Joseph and I will volunteer it to him through the show. 
He's obviously listening to the podcast, so we'll stage a little radio drama. We'll make it sound like we're caving to our fear and offer Grindel the painting in exchange for our lives. We'll make him contact us with a time and place. And then you'll meet him there. With all of you following discreetly behind with the gin jar. Hmm, that could work. Heck yeah, it could. It's a great idea. All right, people. Let's make it happen. So that was that. We had a plan. We, the merely mortal, were going to take on an eternal binging. Before we move forward, though, I'm going to play another recording of Joseph reading from the first Pendergast book, when an earlier group of mismatched strangers were cobbled together and sent into hell on Earth to confront the traveler of space and time. Should you have been misled, as I was, heroes are proven not by their abilities, but by their willingness. They act not when others fail, but when others refuse. Be assured, reader, that legend claims and indeed proclaims these persons forever after. Ashamedly, it was not until just now, pressing pen to paper, that I realized this. Not until I began to chronicle the adventure that taught me such a profound truth, when truth was what I sought from the very first. Pendergast's first chronicler hadn't realized what a hero truly was until the end of his adventure. And I hadn't either. I too had sought truth from the very first, only to find it at the very end. Our fight with Grendel has come and gone. I'm recording these narrations after the fact, pressing my own pen to paper, so to speak. I kept my word to Detective Sorrels and waited until all of this was said and done before I even considered releasing this episode into the world. And here it is. I assume you, listener, are wondering how exactly everything played out. Well, I guess we should go back to that stormy night in Shady Hollow when it was proved that great evil can be stopped. So long as there are those willing enough to stand against it. Lindsay, transceiver. Here! Make your approach. We disabled the gate. Copy that. Who is that? Old acquaintance of yours. Lindsay, get the front door open. What about him? He's not going anywhere. I will make sure of it. What is this? Lindsay, go. You have to clear the path. Yes, please do throw wide the door, Miss Mallon. I've already summoned my pets to the house. Let them all in. Whatever the point of this charade of yours is, they will make short work of it. Uh... Go, Lindsay. Come on, guys. Where are you? They were nowhere in sight. Remember, the storm had largely washed out the road. Joseph's big truck had struggled through the mud. Now imagine that old van trying to make it through. It was slow going, and time was in short supply. Grindle had, in fact, summoned his creatures to the house. Those burning eyes Joseph and I had seen among the trees were showing again and coming toward me. Trembling, I still raised my basilard, ready to fight and even die if need be. But then, there was another pair of lights out in the darkness. Not red, but white. They were headlights. It was the van. Our friends were almost here. The creatures in the woodland all took notice of the nearing van as I had, and it distracted them. Strangely, as if confused, they simply looked on as the van reached the house, skidding sideways to a halt. A driver and passenger doors popped open, and the side door slid back. Keith, Carolyn, and Ryan leapt into the storm, instantly drenched as Joseph and I had been. They all burdened their gear into the house, rushing past me. Down this hall, in the large room. Got it. Come on, let's go. Wait, what about those things? Hardesty will hold them off. He will? I didn't think Hardesty was even with them. 
But then the back door opened and that wheelchair lift descended. Atop it was the mechanical man. That telescoping column that connected the half torso to the chassis was collapsed at the moment, so he fit inside the van. But now, out in the open, he extended to his full possible height, which was greater than I had yet seen. Hardesty was nearly seven feet tall and looking frightfully imposing. He rolled into the mud on that large sphere of his, going out to face a legion of unnameable fiends. Not clutched in his clasper hands, but rather attached to the wrists of them, were a pair of bizarre-looking weapons. These were particle beam cannons, as I was soon to discover, of his own design, naturally. These he turned on the tree line as all those burning eyes began to reveal their owners. Grotesque shapes began to lumber and leap from the forest. Whenever the lightning would strike and the whole world around me was as day for a fraction of a second, I was given just a glimpse of the coming horror. I honestly think these images will haunt me always. But whenever I think of them and tear up, I then make myself remember what happened next. And I smile. Hardesty's weapons slung long, jagged bolts of radiant death upon the enemy. These discharges were as brilliant as any the storm overhead had to offer, and were just as lethal. As far as these ancient, simple brutes were concerned, this metal man had harnessed the power of lightning. But even as it cut through their ranks, the creatures did not stop. Astonishingly, whenever Hardesty destroyed one, it served only to clear the path for the one behind. The whole ferocious mass of them was like a fire being stoked. These were not soldiers to be routed. These were monstrous beasts who found no demoralization in the slaughter of their fellows. Each was bound to Grindle, elementally. And if he commanded them to attack, they would do that and only that until unable. They were unrelenting. Less a charging horde and more an avalanche. They quickly gained ground on Hardesty. He was twisting back and forth rapidly, spraying a semicircle of white fire. But again, for as many as he put down, there were always more. The creatures just kept pouring from the forest. There seemed no end to them. He'd held them back for as long as he could. Hardesty had to retreat. He began to roll backward toward the house. He continued to fire as he did so, right up until he reached the door, which I threw closed once he was inside. The mechanical man, with his inhuman strength, picked up a massive wardrobe that stood in the atrium, using it to block the door. We heard the beasts crash against the other side, trying to batter their way into the house. Sit still not hold them long, and I must barricade the windows as well. Go, Miss Madden, check on the others. I obeyed, dashing back down the hall. Joseph was just where I left him in the big room. Keith, Carolyn, and Ryan had since joined him. They all stood around the dais guarding Grindle, who'd apparently made no attempt to escape. He was still sitting in his throne, relaxed and smirking, amused by it all. But then, when he'd finished his work, Hardesty joined us. And as he rolled into the room, Grindle sat up. Now we had his attention. Hardesty, is that you in there? Indeed it is. Huh. It seemed we both sidestepped the death of our bodies. You, through a slightly more practical, if not crude, method, but for us both to meet again, here, in this time and space? Well, that must be fate. But what are you doing with these fools? You can't have thrown in with them, have you? I stand with these people. Well, that's why pencils have erasers, is it not? You served me once, you would be wise to do so again. I would like my painting, 
Retrieve it for me. I don't know where they have hidden it, but you're a smart one. I'm sure you can... I am no longer your minion, Herr Grindel. I have served the greatest evils this world has known. Never again. I will use what life I have left fighting men like you. Are you sure you want to do this, Hardesty? It sounds as though you're out of time. I'm afraid it is you who is out of time, Herr Grindel. What is that? Another fancy ray gun? I heard you out there shooting my guard dogs. Whatever you do to my host body won't stop me, Hardesty. You know this. And I don't think you're about to let this innocent man die. I will let him die, even if it is only briefly. Hardesty fired a dart into Grindel's chest. The man plucked it out almost as soon as it pricked him, but it was still not fast enough. The poison was already circulating. Grindel stood and immediately felt the effects. He staggered. What is this? A toxin of my own design. Already it is shutting down your vitals. Young Ryan, if you please. Got it. Ryan had been carrying what I thought to be a small suitcase when he rushed past me earlier. But as he dropped to the floor to open the lid, I saw that it was actually a machine. He flipped a couple of switches, then shut the lid again, which I only then saw had an aperture on the front of it. This was now glowing. I looked to Joseph, who mouthed to me, The Lantern. This was that old device of Hardesty's, the one that projected a particle field by which the spirit realm was made visible. Ryan trained the beam of that device on Grindel, who had just fallen to his knees, clutching his chest. The man was reddening, his veins and eyes bulging. He was dying. And as he went, the lantern showed us the spirit of Grindel coming loose from the inside. From every part of his host's body, the parasitic essence of him began to emerge. Come on, we've got to do it now. Nine, the spirit is still connected. The separation must be total. We're going to lose him, Fred. Not yet. We need to do this now. Fate. Grindel's host body then collapsed upon the dais, dead. We beheld the spirit of Clarence Grindel hovering above it. There was no detail to the apparition. It was just the shape of a man, a glowing silhouette. Grindel had said he'd swum the ocean of the spirit realm. He meant that literally. As he loomed over the body, he appeared to be suspended in liquid. Weirdly, streaks of multicolored light appeared around Grindel's spirit when it moved, like he was a prism, separating light into a spectrum. He did not flee us in search of a new body. No, Grindel was to wait and watch as his pets broke into the house and ripped us to pieces. We had hinged our entire plan upon him doing just that, as it kept him in the room, giving us the opportunity we needed. His spirit is free! Carolyn, now! As Ryan held the lantern steady on Grindel, revealing him in that other dimension, Carolyn produced her own device, the gin jar. She activated it, and the metal cage retracted from the glass dome, which then opened. Grindel's spirit was dragged into the metal canister, his human size and shape collapsing as it was crushed down into the gin jar. I believe he tried to resist, but there was simply no fight to be had. He was defeated. The dome closed, and the metal cage moved back into place, sealing it shut. The Traveler of Time and Space was now confined to a very particular section of time and space. Esoros, the antidote. Quickly, inject him. Keith rushed to the dais and climbed it, producing a hypodermic syringe. Popping the cap, he stabbed the needle into the heart of Eric Quintero and thumbed the plunger. Well? Keith, is he alive? Yeah, he's out cold, but he's alive. Not so sure about us, though. Why aren't they stopping? Hardesty, you said they wouldn't be able to feel Grindel's presence once he was in the gin jar. 
They have not yet realized their master's absence. We'll have to hold them off until they do. Carolyn? Ryan? Let's go do what we do. Ryan set aside the lantern and Carolyn the gin jar as Keith returned to the duffel bag he'd carried into the house. From it, he dispensed the specialized weaponry with which he and his agency had long defended their city. When all of them were armed, they turned to us. Keith held what had once been a wooden baseball bat, the end having been sharpened into a stake. Similarly, Ryan gripped a garden dibber, its narrow point shod in what must have been silver. And Carolyn? Well, her weapon was a little more curious. In different circumstances, I may have laughed as she shouldered a heart-shaped pink water tank with plastic angel wings spreading from either side. Once she tightened the straps of the pack, she took up the pump-action cannon that was tethered to the tank by a tube. It was an elaborate squirt gun, a child's toy, but what made it lethal to our foes was the kind of water it contained. There was a cross on the tank made of masking tape, and on the tape the words holy water had been written in marker. The agency had obviously faced many vampiric creatures over the years. These weapons may sound ineffective, even paltry, against the foes we face now, but many of the same species of evil they'd put down were here and now trying to get into this house. So these were the exact weapons needed in the fight ahead. This honestly encouraged the faith I had in mine and Joseph's own weapons, which were of a similar ilk. He balled his gauntlets and I lifted my basilard. I looked to Hardesty, who was removing the particle beam weapons from his wrists. He had evidently depleted them in the earlier firefight, but the mechanical man was himself a force to be reckoned with. As I'd seen at the front door moments ago, he had imbued his fabricated body with a terrible strength. The whole of us then went forward as if of one mind, determined to meet and best the enemy. The creatures were nearly in the house now. They began slipping through the broken windows and door, but this slowed them and robbed them of their greatest advantage, their superior numbers. Only so many could get in at once, and we cut them down as they came. The only question was, could we keep up this pace until Grendel's spell was finally broken? <laughs>
they all just stopped. With Grindel gone, so was his hold over them. The free will of the creatures had been restored to them, and they all returned to their feral natures. Most ran off into the woods. A few even took to fighting each other before doing the same. Soon, none were left in sight. Is that, is that it? Are we done? We're done. Well, you guys are. We stopped to burn all these bodies. What? Why do you think no one ever finds out about our work? We always dispose of these things. Not anymore, we don't. Wait, what? What do you mean, Keith? It's over. <laughs> Let the world find out. This is all going into their podcast anyway. It's not our problem anymore. Come on, gang. Time for a long overdue vacation. Hardesty, wait. We need you. I apologize, Halek. I know you have questions and that you wish for me to be the proof you need to redeem your reputation, but I cannot. The Cabal can't hurt you if you go public. If the world finds out this is all real, then... You know that is not true. You know how powerful they are. If I come forward, I will be snatched away. Being a part of Miss Marin's show was reckless enough. The Cabal, they have sleeper operatives in Circle City. You likely even know one. They will all be activated as soon as this episode is released. I and the others will require all the time between now and then to get as deep into hiding as we can to avoid capture. Tonight was only a part of the work I have left to do. Beware, Herlek. They will come for you now, too. It will not be safe for you as it has been. I... I understand. I'm sorry, my friend. I would very much have liked to prove you right, to restore your reputation, but I'm afraid it is a burden you must carry a little longer. But take heart. Because of what we accomplished here tonight, this city has been freed of its curse. I, Herr Soros, Miss Palfrey, and young Ryan have been in this secret war of his Grindel and his minions for years. You can see the toll it has taken on them. But now they can rest. The unclosing eye can now close. At least for now. I promise you. We will meet again. Auf Wiedersehen. I went to Joseph's side. Together we watched them depart, taking the Jinjar and its occupant to the repository where it would hopefully remain forever. <sighs> yeah, we should probably go too, before anyone comes to check on all this ruckus. What about him? Who? Quintero. I had forgotten he was even there. He's still out cold. The guy's been a prisoner of his own mind for so long. Do you think he'll be okay? I honestly don't know. You think he'll remember us? Probably for the best if he doesn't. Seems wrong to leave him here. It's not exactly safe, is it? I mean, I guess we could drop him at the hospital. All right, you get his legs. Joseph and I hauled Eric Quintero to the truck, then drove him to the nearest hospital. We helped get him onto a gurney in the ER, saying that we had all been involved in a car wreck. This untruth was more than sold by the state of Joseph and I. Between the blood and the mud, no one questioned our story. But then we did slip promptly away before anyone got the chance. In the subsequent days, Joseph and I waited for the news to break about the wildlife sanctuary. The scenario that seemed most likely was that Mr. Quintero would awaken, recover, and be taken back to his home where piles of dead monsters would be discovered. But that didn't happen. News of his hospitalization was announced, and there was some kind of investigation concerning the nature preserve, but no mention was made of the creatures. I recalled what Grindel had told us about his pets, how they had fed on their own at the radio station after our first fight. I wondered if this had happened again. The things were still in the area, after all. Maybe they circled back to the mansion and cannibalized their own dead. Maybe they wanted full bellies for the long trip home. That's right. Just as we'd hoped, 
In the absence of Grindel, his minions, it seems, are leaving Circle City. I'm now using my nightly radio show, just as the Bentons had intended it, to track the location and movements of otherworldly entities. I've even put a map of Indiana up in my recording booth, pinning a little flag wherever a fresh sighting is reported. Even after just a couple of days, it was clear that the things were moving farther and farther from town. I don't know how long it will ultimately take them, but the creatures are now migrating back to the land of phantoms. I can only hope the damage and terror they cause along the way will be minimal. So we may hear... Sorry to interrupt, but the delivery guy just dropped them off. You wanted to know when they arrived. Great! I'll take them over to Joseph right now. Oh, come on. I have my hands full. You're seriously going to make me use my key? Yes, that's right, listener. Joseph gave me a spare key for emergencies. Settle down. Hello? Joseph? Joseph? Oh, the secret door is open. I guess he's downstairs. Joseph? In the vault. I was knocking. Sorry, I didn't hear you up the... Hey, what's in the box? What's in yours? I got a call from the post office today. My P.O. box was overflowing, which is funny because I haven't had anyone send me a story in quite some time. Is that what all this is? People are sending you stories again? It's the podcast. I told you that'd happen. This is great! Well... I guess it might be. I know you don't do that kind of work anymore, so are you just going to lock these stories up in your vault? No. There's not a publication that will have me, but maybe I could start assembling the stories into books and publish them independently like I did the Pendergast manuscripts. I love that idea. We'll show the world you're no fraud. I don't care about that. All I care about is getting the truth out. That's all that really matters. Good on you. I'll probably start with some of my previously published work, and if it goes well, I'll start releasing some of these newly acquired stories. Have you read through any of them yet? Just a couple. It's all relevant to what we've been exploring, though. You were right, Lindsay. Because of this podcast, people realized what they had. And if they went to the trouble of sending it to me, well, the least I can do is relay it to the world, right? So, what's in your box? Oh, check this out. What do you think? I got a couple dozen of them made. I figured we could sell them through the website and help promote the show. Here, I got you an extra large. Is that a thing that people do? They wear t-shirts from podcasts? They will if it has our motto on it. I like them. I really do. Good. Will you help me hang this up? The painting? Well, since we left the tube back in Shady Hollow, I figure we might as well put it up on the wall in here. Okay, but there's something I need help with, too. Sure, what's up? Well, based on what happened with your P.O. box, I want to try this again, as I think public sentiment about you has changed. Try what again? Oh, you brought your laptop. Why? Sylvia put together a fresh batch of messages, and I want to listen to them with you. Ugh, really? Come on, be positive. I have a good feeling this time. I'm pretty sure you had a good feeling last time, too. Pressing play. So, this podcast is fiction or what? I thought you were doing a real thing here. What happened? Sorry, but I gotta call you on this. I think you guys are trying to, like, boost ratings or downloads or whatever. Not cool. Not cool at all. If you're all pretending, at least be upfront about it. 
Uh, this is not fiction, but okay, whatever. Moving on. Uh, hi. Yeah, so I just finished episode three, and I gotta say, huge misstep. I mean, come on! You guys fighting monsters with swords and whatever? No one there flagged that as a bridge too far? Really? Look, I like these kind of docudrama podcasts where you pretend to investigate all this supernatural stuff, but you need to take a note from other shows like this. You have to ground it in reality, you know? Sure, those other shows get kind of boring, but that's real life. I mean, you can't be having straight-up monster battles. That stuff is ridiculous. Anyway, tell the story supervisor or whoever to get their act together. Ciao. (laughs) Just wait until they hear this episode. What? I don't... What is happening? They think it's fake, Lindsay. No, they can't all. Lindsay Mallon, I am so disappointed. As the host of Circle City Supernatural, you are supposed to be lending credibility to the paranormal. And here you are perpetrating this hoax of a podcast. Now, I don't blame you. I know it's that guy you've fallen in with. I don't know how he convinced you to go along with another one of his schemes. But you've got to... Oh, hey, hey, I didn't mean... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Look, you... You tried to pull me out of the pit, but I just pulled you in with me. This is on me. I'm sorry. I can't believe this is happening! Well, there is one benefit, and it's a pretty big one. If no one believes any of this, then... Then we're safe. What Hardesty said about the Cabal being a problem for us once this episode is released... So long as we're publicly regarded as charlatans, they have no need to come after us, and doing so would only validate our story. I know that's little consolation. This isn't what you wanted. I hope you don't feel like this was all a waste. I have no regrets. About any of it. Really? If I hadn't pursued any of this, I never would have met you. I feel the same. Let's try just one more. (laughs) What? Come on. Someone out there has to believe us. Sure, go ahead. Let's see. Oh, wait, this one is a video. Guess someone filmed their message to us. Weird. Pressing play. There's no sound. I don't think this is a message. What are we looking at? It's so dark. It's the inside of a warehouse or steelworks or something. What is that light? Listener, in the video, there is a green light forming out of nothing. The camera work is getting shaky as if whoever is filming this is freaking out. I would be too. It's... it's... oh, stop moving, would you? The light is forming a crack. But a a crack in what? It's like... it's like... (gasps) Holy crap! A... what is that? Uh, A valley of light, green light, has appeared. It's like a tunnel. What am I looking at? It's the thing that brought us together. This is the portal opening. Someone did see it and even filmed it. Why are we only getting this now? I have no idea. Look, look, there's there's something coming out of the light. It's a figure. It's several figures. They're all in silhouette, but they have... Joseph? On, on their backs? Are those... 
<laughs> yes, yes they are. Those are wings. These are visitors from another world. This can't be real. I mean, we just got all the monsters out of our town and now we have aliens? Oh, that's it. The video just stopped. I guess whoever was filming got scared and ran off. Okay, well, well, do you know what this means? Season two? Season two. Are we going to begin immediately? We could be investigating for a few months before we even have enough to begin. Gotcha. But what are your listeners supposed to do in the meantime? I would encourage everyone to check out the website and all your old work, including the three Pendergast books. I suggest we get that trilogy back into print, make them available to everyone who wants to read them, especially if you're going to start publishing your stories again. And now we have to get season two underway. Oh, there's so much to do. We gotta get busy. Like, now. You should probably do your thing first. Hmm? To finish the show. Oh, of course. Do good, fight evil, repeat. I'm Lindsay Mallon, and this is the Endless Elsewhere Podcast.